Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm trying new inflections. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, weird day in the ACC. Is that a fair assessment? Weird day across college football. This is why college football media casuals don't let them dictate your joy when we only get like 12 of these regular season Saturdays a year. Mm-hmm. Don't let them tell you that the slate's not any good. Don't let them tell you that none of the games are good until week four. Don't listen to anything that they say. Because then you end up with a Saturday like today, which not only in the ACC but across college football, there were some weird results. Were there a ton of upsets? No, there weren't. Were there a ton of really good games that weren't expected to be very good? Yes. Who could have predicted that? This happens every single year. Every year we dismiss a week or two a year where we're like, the slate sucks. And then it ends up being one of the wildest weekends of the year. And this was the best weekend of college football so far. Probably. Yeah, I was talking to my wife like an hour ago, and she was like, all right, so what's the rundown on college football today? And I was like, well, Georgia almost lost South Carolina. Alabama absolutely screwed around with USF. Like, Florida State almost gave it up to Boston College. Like, Texas in a dogfight with Wyoming. Like, all this stuff. She's like, so it sounds like it's a whole bunch of near misses. And I was like, yeah, actually, that's exactly how I would put it. It's It was a bunch of near misses of – games that were a lot closer than they should have been and i think that is just such like absolutely the beauty of college football so you know it this is the kind of stuff that i love i love a weekend like this where there's really not a whole lot of quote-unquote excitement that you're expecting and then you come in and all of a sudden it's it's like a choose your own adventure on twitter following around like oh this game's getting real getting weird like oh we gotta all watch this game like oh my gosh It, it was fun day for a lot of unpredictable reasons yeah, and as it pertains to the ACC, too, like, oddly, one of the only teams that actually took care of business today with not too much stress was Clemson, mm-hmm. which coming into the weekend, we were like, hopefully Clemson takes care of business because there are some schools on the slate here uh, playing this weekend that we don't really know how these games are going to go. We were like, you know what? Clemson is a gigantic favorite, but they'll probably play down to competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, newsflash, they did not play down to competition. They looked really, really good tonight. Yeah, I mean, it helps when, like, a minute and 45 seconds into the game, you get a pick six to, yes. like, get you rolling. I mean, that, yeah. that'll always help. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, Clemson looked pretty good. I Do we start there, Mike, or do we, do we start elsewhere? I mean, we can start there because it's going to be kind of a brief discussion, yeah. I think. Um, um, yeah, Clemson 48, Florida Atlantic 14, a game that was not ever close. It was 34 to nothing at halftime. Um, did not really require a lot from Cade Klubnick here, 16 to 27 for 169 and three touchdowns. Um, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna be real honest here with you, Mike. Um, I yeah. did not watch like a second of this game. I've seen a couple of the highlights on Twitter, but like there was more important stuff in the ACC going on tonight than watching mm-hmm. Clemson blow out a uh, seemingly pretty bad Florida Atlantic team. So uh, I, I'm not gonna act like I watched this, but it is, it is always good and comforting seeing Clemson take care of business the way a program like that probably should be taking care of business. I did not watch a ton of this either. I did see some of the snaps, though. So I guess that's – is that more than – More than I can, I say. can say. Okay, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this was pretty efficient. This was kind of like an empty calories game for Florida Atlantic where, you know, Clemson didn't really outgain Florida Atlantic by a ton. But then, you know, at the same time, Florida Atlantic just really didn't have a whole lot of success, right? Clemson separated themselves early in this game, right? Um, you mentioned the pick six off the top, 
but this was one of those games where Clemson jumped out to a huge early lead. They were up 20 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. Um, Klumnik had two touchdown passes in addition to that pick six. So it was pretty quick, right? They missed a PAT, right? So that's why it was 20 to nothing after one, but they really never looked back. Um, this was a game where Florida Atlantic was never competitive. Florida Atlantic didn't even score a point until the fourth quarter. It was 41, nothing Clemson. We haven't seen Clemson dominate a bad team in a while. So yes, it's Florida Atlantic. Uh, yes, it was 48 to 14. This is a much more satisfying victory. I think for Clemson than the 63, what was it? 62, 63 points. They hung on Charleston Southern last weekend. Mm-hmm. I think Clemson fans would tell you this game was a little bit more satisfying because it was never in doubt versus Charleston Southern. Not that it was like ever in doubt, but Clemson did not play well in the first half of that game last weekend. I know Clemson ended up scoring like the final 56 points or whatever it was in that game, but it just wasn't like uh, a game that inspired a whole lot of confidence coming off of that crazy loss to Duke. Um, you have that outmatch that you're down in the second quarter. Like, are you kidding me? So, right. Yeah. Like right. this, it was nice seeing them do what they were supposed to do today and a team they had again, very much outmatched. Right. So this was, this is exactly what you're supposed to do against teams where you are, just far and away more talented. And mm-hmm. this game was 41 nothing heading into the fourth quarter. And Clemson just was kind of cruising all game, right? So mm-hmm. this is what you want. This is what it's supposed to look like against bad teams. And this should give Clemson a bit more confidence going into a pretty big game next Saturday against Florida State. And Joey, maybe we should go there next because Florida State did everything except look good today against Boston College. Very weird game. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, Clemson 48, Florida Atlantic 14. I do want to call attention real quick to the uh, comment from Evan Sandage. Uh, brings up something that we should probably note here. Clemson's kicker, yeah. not good, had one of the worst misses on a short kick I've seen after the missed extra point. Um, I, I bring that up just because this is a game where they won by a massive margin and this was not an issue. But if you get into a close game, a bit of a rock fight, kicker quality, big deal. And we saw that came back to bite them against Duke. I mean, they, they missed what, at least one, if not two, like definite field goal range field goals. Um, so that's something that I think um, one was, one was blocked. Yeah. One was, was it? Blocked. Which, yeah. I mean, can very much be on the kicker too. So um, that's yeah. something just to, I, th- I think maybe keep an eye on as we, uh, as we kind of move forward here, but yeah, Mike, let's move on to, uh, <laughs> well, real quick, real quick. It's something to keep in mind too, because we talked on the Friday night show last night about, like early look ahead lines, you know, before these games were played, what was Clemson, Florida state going to look like next Saturday, Florida state, you know, in the look ahead line that we took a look at last night, Florida state was only a three and a half point favorite. So when you talk about a game, you know, coming, we'll see what the actual opening line is tomorrow. Right. Um, We get kind of a better feel across a bunch of different sports books, what they think of this game going into next Saturday, but like, Florida State did not look very good today. We're about to talk about that. Clemson looked good. You know, does it adjust to that? You know, is, you know, Vegas still thinking it's going to be like a three or a four point game? Field goal kicking could end up being very crucial to your point. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Let's jump over there. As you mentioned, to Florida State 31, Boston College 29. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, 
It's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, a game that Boston College got up. They were up 10-3 to in the second quarter. Uh, Florida State came roaring back. They were up 31-10. to and then gave up 19 straight points to end this game and uh, was very, very close to giving Boston College the ball back with about a minute, minute and a half left to have a chance to go back, go down and win the game. Uh, unfortunately, Boston College called for a face mask penalty on that uh, third down and, I don't know, third me- medium play, which is really just appropriate because yeah. that was Boston College's 18th penalty of this game. <laughs> Yeah, a new school record of the worst kind, 18 penalties for 131 yards for Boston College today. And by the way, I think probably about a dozen of those were uh, pre-snap type penalties, false starts, uh, offsides. uh, There was delay of games. There were multiple delay of games called on the defense in the first quarter of this game. Um, This was a a, just a super weird game, Uh, very back and forth. Uh, Jordan Travis left in the in the second quarter uh, a little bit early with an injury. He comes back. It was it, whatever the injury was. Looked like it was to his non throwing shoulder. He kind of fell awkwardly at one point, uh, but he comes back and plays the rest of the game after halftime. So there was that. Um, Florida State looked pretty pretty sloppy, pretty flat, pretty undisciplined on defense. Um, there were most of this game. It was like they just. They never really could like process the idea that maybe Thomas Castellanos can move a little bit and can can run and can scoot, and so like they just continued to uh, not pay nearly enough attention to him, lose leverage, you know, and, and let him get out. And uh, Thomas Castellanos finishes this game with 95 rushing yards for Boston College. That led the team, um, and that includes the two sacks that he took as well. So um, huge game from him for the most part. There were a couple of moments that. Did not go very well. I, this was just a super weird back and forth game. Florida State was should be the better team, should have won this game in a blowout. But I thought especially their defense did not have a good game here and uh, really kind of left the back door open for Boston College to nearly come in and win this thing outright. I mean, if Boston College just plays a little bit more discipline, they probably win this football game today. Florida State's actually pretty fortunate they were playing against Boston College. I think you and I mm-hmm. both agree Boston College is one of the worst teams in the ACC. Mm-hmm. And coming into today, nobody really gave them a chance. You and I certainly didn't. I thought Florida State would cruise. Florida State, again, got off to a slow start. This was their worst start of the season. Uh, you know, Florida State looked really impressive. Uh, obviously in the opener against LSU to get things started. And they really just haven't really been tested, right? I guess LSU was the real test. They passed that. They won by a couple scores. You have this BC game today. You're kind of sleeping on in week three, thinking that Florida State's just going to kind of roll the helmet out there and kind of go up a few scores and then never look back, similar to actually how Clemson looked today against Florida Atlantic. 
sure enough, Florida State goes down early. They fight back. Florida State gets a couple of late scores in the second quarter and then gets off to a really good start in the third quarter, right? They score on the mm-hmm. first drive of the third quarter. They get the ball back, force the three and out. They go go down and score again. All of a sudden, it's 31-10. Now I'm sitting here thinking, okay, Florida State, like 25, 26-point favorite. They're probably going to cover with ease. 31-10, all the momentum, things starting to go their way. It's like, okay, look, Florida State came out flat, big game next weekend. They're on the road, weird environment in Chestnut Hill, red bandana game. We didn't expect it, but is it all that surprising? You know, maybe not. Now, all of a sudden, they're up 31-10. You think they're going to cruise. Then the wheels just kind of fell off a little bit. Offensively, they started making some mistakes. Boston College started to capitalize. Thomas Cassiano, shout out to him. He played a fantastic game today uh, against Florida State. And all of a sudden, BC's offense starts to get going a little bit. Now Florida State can't get stops. And not only that, Florida State can't stay on the field offensively. And you got a bunch of weird stuff going on. You got the fumble return early fourth quarter, right? So Florida State goes up 31-10. They trade possessions a little bit. BC scores with about a minute to go in the third quarter to make it 31-16. They miss the extra point. (laughs) Okay. They miss Mm -hmm. the extra point. Mm-hmm. Force Florida State. Uh, they get Florida State's offense off the field. They get the ball back with that fumble return, right? Florida State pinned deep in their own territory early fourth quarter. Eight yard fumble return, right? One of the swing swing pass to a running back. It, he's being in the process of being tackled. Ball squirts out. Yep. Boston College defender right there picks it up, runs it in for a touchdown. Yep. And now all of a sudden it's 31 22. So now it's time to go for two because we're about to make this a one score game. That did not exactly work out for BC. Um, so then BC gets the ball back later, right? All of us, they force Florida State off the field again. Ball goes through Johnny Wilson's hands and complete on third down. Mm-hmm. Now I'm thinking BC's out here trying to win this game outright. You know, you know, screw cover, screw covering. We're going to mm-hmm. try to win this game outright. Thomas Castellano scores with five minutes to go. It's 31-29. We talked about the face mask at the end when BC is trying to get a stop to get the ball back. You know, they commit that really, you know, horrendous face mask penalty. Very obvious, very blatant. Um, one of, what did you say, 15 penalties on the day? For 18. BC? 18 penalties on the day. 18 so, penalties. Just a, And that doesn't even a, include the ones that were declined. Just a very weird, it's a very weird game. A very weird game. Florida State's fortunate. Because it was kind of like, I thought it was a tale of two halves. Like, started poorly. Then you had the ascent where they go up three scores. And then you have kind of the downside of that. It was just a very up and down game for BC, for um, Florida State. And they're very fortunate they were playing Boston College. Because a more disciplined BC team today wins. Mm-hmm. And literally, like, seven or eight other teams in the ACC, if Florida State puts on that performance today, they definitely lose. Oh, yeah, so. for sure. They're fortunate it was Boston College. I do want to hit on what Kevin Carpenter commented. Is is Florida State overrated, or is this just a weird game, or some red bandana magic from Boston College? Um, Let down, I, look ahead. I, I was going to say, I don't think this is an overrated situation. Um, no. I think there is a look-ahead situation here for sure with Clemson on deck. Um, I, I think that, yeah, probably some a little bit of red bandana magic of, you know, Boston College played hard. They played hard the full 60 minutes. Um, and I just... 
I, yeah, I just, I don't know. It was just kind of sloppy. And, and, and Florida State just, like, looked flat coming out, and their defense yeah. just was not good. They, they just, they did not look like they were prepared to contain Thomas Castellanos. Like, and that was, that was the strange thing to me, was, like, for a full 60 minutes, it was like they, maybe there was a part in the middle that they were okay kind of containing him, but, like, for a lot of this game, I mean, the number of times that Castellano is like they had everybody covered or whatever, and he was able to just like sneak out and they didn't have a spy on him. There was like very little adjustment, it seemed. I don't know. It was very strange for me. Um, not encouraging the way that Florida State played this game. Castellanos had 400 all purpose yards. Mm-hmm. He had 305. Dude, he the was, air. He he was awesome. He was really he good. He was awesome. Yeah. Why, why in God's green earth was Emmett Leshead anywhere near this offense? Yeah. No. I why? Think I think it's fair. Emmett Leshead couldn't be me. I uh, couldn't be. Where's Chris Stronden? <laughs> I was going to say Emmett Moorhead couldn't be me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 400 all-purpose yards, right? It was it was a complete performance through the air, on the ground. Joey, you mentioned that Florida State, you know, they had the the time where, you know, there were a few possessions where they contained Cassianos. It was late second quarter, early third quarter when they extended their lead. Mm-hmm. That's kind of when I thought Florida State was going to pull away. Weren't really able to do it. Now, is Florida State, some people I saw talking about Florida State potentially being fraudulent. I don't see that. LSU looked really good against Mississippi State today. LSU is probably, well, I'm going to stake my claim here because of the way Alabama's looked. I think LSU is going to win the SEC West again, by the way. Fire away. Fire. We're three weeks in. Fire away. LSU is going to win the SEC West. And because of that, are they going to win the SEC West or are they just going to not lose the SEC West? Okay. Well, I mean, that's a whole different discussion. Are they just going <laughs> to flat out win the SEC? Because Georgia doesn't look very good either. Mm-hmm. And if LSU's only loss is Florida State, they're in the playoff, buddy. They're in. Mm-hmm. Like, they're in the playoff. Probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't think Florida State's overrated. Uh, I think they're going into a pretty big game next Saturday in Death Valley. Florida State really didn't have a reason to get up for this game. Mm -hmm. BC's been so bad. And Florida State's fortunate. Don't get me wrong. They're very fortunate. But we have to remind people, we're dealing with 18 to 22-year-olds on a weekly basis. With a weird-shaped ball. (laughs) Yes. There's stuff that goes wrong. There's stuff that gets really weird. And they're really only a handful of occurrences in the history of the sport where a team has been so dominant in a season from start to finish that you just know that they're going to win every single game they play. is going to be by a convincing margin. 2019 LSU is one of those teams, mm-hmm. right? We don't see – that's a great example. We don't see a team like that all the time. And they weren't and, even that good the first month or so of the season. Like and They weren't even that good the first month or so of the season. That's correct. They had a couple of shaky performances early on, and then they were a wagon. Mm-hmm. So this is just a reminder. Kids don't always pay attention. These 18 to 22 year olds, they could be a lot better, a lot more talented, a lot better coached. And then some weeks they just don't pay attention. They come out sleepy. It's an early kickoff. Like this one was a nooner stuff happens in college football. Florida right? state looked like they thought that they could just roll their helmets out and win this game. Yeah. And in their defense, they came out really flat. They weren't playing their best football. They were still up 31 to 10. 
Mm-hmm. They weren't even playing great football late second, early third quarter. They just got a couple stops mm-hmm. defensively. They got a couple stops. They scored some points. And just like that, it was 31 to 10. Mm-hmm. And then they took their foot off the gas pedal again, and they couldn't stop Castellanos. And credit to him. I, I don't want to just... I'm not trying to poo-poo his performance and act like, oh, yeah, Florida State took their, you know, the foot off the gas, and that's why Castellanos had a good game. No. I mean, he's been good since he took over the starting job. He was good. La- he was pretty good last week. He was efficient last week at the very least. But we saw kind of the top end. Like, this is kind of, I think, what he can be. And so I'm excited to see, like, if he can live up to that week over week now. Yep. Because yep. I think BC might have a little something at quarterback if he continues playing like this. I will call out before we finish out here. Um, I don't have the names in front of me, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm remembering this right. I do believe Florida State was without three starting offensive linemen in this game. Mm-hmm. Is that At right? Least um, At least two. Yeah. So that that plays a little bit into what went on on offense. But there were other times. I mean, definitely saw Jordan Travis pressing at times. You know, mm-hmm. like. There was one play that sticks out in my mind. It was like third and five. He's rolling out, has, I think it was Lawrence Tolfili, the running back, like wide open in front of him, would have almost certainly gotten a first down. And instead he throws it 15 yards down the field into coverage and it's an incomplete pass. And it's, yeah. it's like, you didn't have to do that. Right. You know, now you're punting, but it's because you're pressing, you know, like yeah. that kind of thing. So I don't know. A uh, little, little bit of everything, but Florida State survives. Um, I, I, for one, I still expect them to beat Clemson next week. Um, yeah, I, I think yeah. I don't take a ton from this particular performance. Um, I, I think this is a, an outlier, a look-ahead spot, a letdown spot. You know, call it what you will. Um, so I, I'm, I am not down on Florida State based on what I saw here. I, I, I think they should still be favored next week, and I will pick them to win. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't see any reason why we wouldn't pick Florida State. So. I'm with Very you. confused as to why there was ever a suggestion that Emmett Moorhead was the guy for uh, Boston College. I don't get it. Year, I mean, Scott Scott brings up a really good point there. I don't really understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I know. Don't get it. What did Dan know that he wasn't telling us? I don't mm-hmm. know. We'll find out. Anyways, yep. Florida State 31, Boston College 29. Mike, where to? Uh, can we get the Virginia Tech conversation out of the way? Just get it over with. Let's just get it over with. Rutgers 35, Virginia Tech 16. This is the part where I admit to the people that I did not really get to watch a whole lot of football at all there in the afternoon block. Uh, I was at a birthday party for a four-year-old, and it was not a place with good reception. I had both kids with me, so not a good situation for watching games. So I did not get to watch this, but I did kind of monitor the score. does not seem like a good situation for your Hokies. Don't worry. I'm here to help. (laughs) Take it away. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, Virginia Tech started Kyron Drones because Grant Wells was too hurt to play. Uh, he was only available in like an emergency situation. So we saw Kyron Drones. Virginia Tech fans really wanted to see Drones. So that's just kind of how it worked out. But it wasn't because of performance by Grant Wells. It was just because he was hurt. Uh, drones, there was some good, some not so good. He was 19 of 32 for 190 yards, had a touchdown pass, had an interception. He ran for 74 yards. The one thing I want to note here is I think Virginia Tech's offense, It look, it wasn't great. It was 3.3 yards per carry. They had 129 yards rushing on 39 carries. That's not great on paper. What I will say is that Kyron Drones was heavily involved in the running game, and he is he passes the test as a passer. 
Um, he there, had was, one. there was no drop off from team expectations with him in the game. I agree. That's what all I wanted to say. Totally agree. Uh, and I think he unlocked a little bit of something in the running game because Virginia Tech's offensive line is still some ass. It's real bad. Oh, God. Real bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's real bad. Uh, as long as Virginia Tech's offensive line is playing like this or has this kind of talent and just not very good, the ceiling, the, the floor is low, the ceiling's even lower. Like, Or I guess the other way around. Ceiling's low, floor's even lower. Um, I think that Drones should be the starting quarterback the rest of the season. He showed enough Obviously. today for me. The, the running game, too, like... The running game just looked better. The stats don't look great. The running game looked better. And I don't think the offensive line is ever going to be very good this year. But I think that drones will bail them out in a way that Grant Wells will not. There's a few things here, right? So Virginia Tech got the ball first. They fumbled on the second play of the game. Rutgers scored on the very next play. 7 nothing. okay? Kyron Drones threw an interception that I don't believe was his fault down the right sideline two receivers basically ran the same route they ran into each other kind of along the sideline there were multiple defenders there got intercepted i don't think that was on drones maybe pry will have a different take on it he didn't really address it after the game i'm curious once he looks at the film i'm not sure that was on drones rutgers scored on that ensuing possession right so that's 14 points off turnovers and then virginia tech had a short punt in the second quarter that Rutgers turned into points, right? So it was a punt off the side of Peter Moore's leg, which, by the way, Peter Moore's been a very good punter for Virginia Tech this year. This was his first really bad punt of the year. Off the side of his foot, Rutgers got it midfield, went down and scored again. So Virginia Tech was behind the eight ball. They were down 21-3, and it's really hard to come back from that when you have an offense that's not going to you know, score a lot of points or at least be consistent doing it. So Virginia Tech gifted Rutgers a lot of points today. The big takeaway here is that Rutgers ran the ball extremely well. They had two very long runs that skewed the stats a little bit. But Virginia Tech's rushing defense, again, was just kind of so-so. And my big takeaway here isn't that Virginia Tech sucks against the run. The bigger takeaway for me is that Virginia Tech couldn't get off the field and get a stop when they needed to. Now, was that all on the Virginia Tech defense? Is that their fault? No. Like, the offense put you a little bit behind the eight ball, obviously. But I think that Virginia Tech's defense, the margin for error is so thin, you have to get those stops this year if you want to be like a competitive team, four, five, six wins. Like if you want to be in that range, you've got to start getting stops, right, on crucial mm -hmm. third downs. This game turned. Rutgers came out. It was um, a third down play. Uh, let, me make, let me look at the uh, box score here and make sure I get this right, Scott. It was a third, third and, one. and one. It was third and one. It was a twenty-one to sixteen point game, and they took it to the house on third and one. That's, third and one. Out of that's a what you're trying out. to say, right? Out of a timeout. Yeah, out of a timeout. Rutgers. Yeah. Rutgers had third and short. Uh, it looked like they were basically just going to run the ball up the middle, uh, and it didn't work out that way. <laughs> basically, what happened is uh, Kyle Monagai took the handoff, kicked it out to the left, left. Uh, outside, cut left. Nobody was on the backside and he took it to the house. Uh, that was a crucial play in the game. Yeah, Rutgers For motioned uh, motioned the receiver from the left to the right. The DB followed the receiver going all the way to the left. They snapped the ball. Nobody, there was nobody on that out side. there. Nobody on that side. Montegai read it perfectly. He ran right up the middle like he... That's, like that's everybody thought he would. Yeah. 
and that's when yeah. the game ended. So my overall takeaway here, <clears throat> Virginia Tech is not very good. There is they're terrible. They're terrible. There is some hope at quarterback. Virginia Tech's really thin on the offensive line. There were some key injuries here, right? So um, Allie mm-hmm. Jennings didn't play. Jalen Lane, uh, Tech's other top receiver, dressed out but did not play. So he was his hamstring wasn't good to go. He didn't play much. Uh, Virginia Tech's two uh, primary middle linebackers, Alan Tisdale, uh, who was slated to start this week, got injured late in the week of practice. He didn't play. Jaden Keller, who started the first two games at Mike Linebacker, he got hurt. Keontae Jenkins, who's starting uh, weak side linebacker, he got hurt. Uh, who else? Jalen Stroman, uh, younger brother of Greg Stroman. Joey, you know that name? I do. Uh, I remember a, that name. He's a starting safety. He got hurt. Nasir mm. Peoples didn't dress. He's the other starting safety. He got hurt, right? He's hurt. He's out. So Virginia Tech was starting uh, young players at safety, young players at linebacker. And Tech gets young pretty quick at receiver when all of a sudden your transfer portal guys can't suit up anymore. So not only is Virginia Tech not great to begin with when all the starters are out there, but then now you're playing a bunch of freshmen from the two deep. And is that promising for the future? Yes. Is it good for this season? Absolutely not. So fans are like up in arms. They're real concerned. Taking a step back. This is a team I was hoping would get to, like, five wins. That's probably not going to get there unless something drastic changes. It is a huge game against Marshall next Saturday to even keep those hopes alive. A huge game against Marshall. Marshall. What a phrase. So, uh, it's a rebuild. Fans are real angry. I, I don't know what fans were necessarily expecting. I think a lot of them set themselves up for failure. There were fans... From up, there are people from other podcasts that were saying Virginia Tech was a seven or an eight win team, Joey, which is they were unf- on drugs, unfathomable. What unfathomable that people like, were saying that I couldn't what believe podcast? it. So I know which we're not going to name names here, but Mike and I have this conversation. Unfathomable, it's, it's ridiculous that people were thinking this was a seven or eight win team. At no most, shot. it was six. At, at most, it was six. At most, it was six. A miracle yeah. would have gotten them seven. No shot. This was a fringe bowl team at best. So for people to be up in arms that Virginia Tech is one and two, like this is some gigantic shock, is crazy to me. Like, has Virginia Tech played to expectations or have they exceeded expectations? They haven't exceeded expectations. Have they met expectations? Probably not, right? They, they've, they, you know, gave the game away in some ways against Purdue last week and then you know, spotting Rutgers three touchdowns when Rutgers has no passing offense, by the way. Mm-hmm. They threw for, no. what did Wimsat throw for today? 46 Not enough. yards. 46 yeah. yards? Would you like that in feet? Because I can do that uh, yeah. calculation pretty uh, quick. Okay. Want, want to do it in inches like we did the other night? <laughs> <laughs> want to do we that do like again? talking about inches on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, yeah, anyway, I... Rutgers is bad. Rutgers is not a good team. Like they have a they have a decent rushing defense. Rutgers is not a very good team. This is going to be one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. And Virginia Tech lost this game by three scores. This is not good. But to expect Virginia Tech to be this like seven or eight win team, like you were setting yourself up for failure if you thought that. I said on the preview, five wins. I thought Virginia Tech would improve and get to five wins. 
they could still get to five wins. There are some teams in front of them in the ACC that aren't very good. We'll talk about Pittsburgh in a second. Pittsburgh sucks, and Tech plays them in a couple weeks here. You're telling me that's not a winnable game at home? Give me a break. Pittsburgh's a winnable game now. So they sold some, it out already. So there are some game there are some games here coming up that Virginia Tech could win, especially if drones play if drones is a starting quarterback and they don't turn the ball over and the defense plays like it has, plays okay, keeps Virginia Tech's offense in the game. If the offense takes some incremental steps forward, Virginia Tech can win four or five games and take a step forward from what they were a year ago. But to act like this thing was all going to be solved in year two is insanity. And the fan base needs a, they need like the, is it a red, red pill or blue pill? Like take the one no, that gets they need you. A, they need a punch in the face. This team is bad. The, bad. the year was always going to be next year. It was never this year. It was so never they year just two. need to swallow what we're going to get this year. And it's, it's never next year, year two. It was never year two. That's why you play drones, by the way. That's why you play drones. Correct. By the Correct. way, can, can I sneak one more thing in here while I'm ranting? Brent Pry, so Brent Pry after the game was asked like, oh, how drones play? And he was like, a, you know, inconsistent but there's some stuff to build off of right and fans read the quote and they said oh pry is down on drones we're going back to wells let me tell you what i'm high on brent pry and his staff i think they're doing the right stuff i think they're building it the right way the results haven't been there yet i get that fans are impatient i understand that too because virginia tech historically has been a very good football program i understand the angst i understand all the anxiety and the worry about the program but let me tell you this. If Pry starts Grant Wells again over Kyron Drones, he's losing the fan base, including me. He cannot go back to Grant Wells, barring injury. Like If there's an injury, you can go back to Wells. That's fine. There is no reason, no reason why Kyron Drones, if healthy, shouldn't play the rest of the season as a starting quarterback. Wells is going to graduate next year. Who cares? Who cares? Get... Who cares? Who cares? Who Get cares? him out of here. Play, play Kyron Drones. The ceiling's high. Bad offensive line. He gives you the running element, and you're not losing as much in the passing game. He threw a beautiful pass down the left sideline. It was uh, dropped. On Felton. It was dropped. It was right on the money. He was three steps behind his defender. It, w- it would have gone in for six. Those are the types of plays that need to be made, right? So, like, drones can do it. Let him play. Let him Virginia, play. Yeah. Virginia Tech quarterback goes 19 of 32 for 190, a touchdown and an interception. Which one was it? Exactly. Exactly. Which one was it? That's the point. Bingo. Bingo. Could have been either of them. Bingo. That's the point. Now, Virginia Tech quarterback goes 22 carries for 74 yards. Which one was it? That was drones. Yeah. Only one of them. Wells isn't doing that. Thank you. Right. So I I think, you know, and again, I didn't watch this game. I don't know how it unfolded, um, but I will will add this. The, The thing that I am really most disappointed in, I think, for Virginia Tech looking at this box score is giving up 34 carries for 256 yards on the ground. I felt like this was the one thing that that defense should have been able to slow down, limit, was a, a rushing attack like that. And I, that was why I thought this was going to be an under, low-scoring, rock fight kind of game. Um, the fact that Rutgers was able to move the ball as well as they did on the ground and, and, and rip off a couple of massive chunk plays that they did – that's a that's a disappointment to me, and that's a concern. Yeah. And some of this again is injury related and all that. But um, that's the one thing I would be pointing at is like that probably should have gone better, or feels like it should have gone better. The reason why this ended up being an over game is because Tech had the two bad turnovers. I guess the one bad turnover and the punt, and then 
Rutgers scored off of that interception where the receivers kind of ran the same route. But regardless, 14 points off turnovers, 21 if you're including basically an arm punt, right, that started Rutgers at midfield. That's bad. That can't happen. And then that third and one play uh, that w- where Lauderdale bounced outside and then, you know, Maga took it to the house. Like, that can't, that cannot happen, right, mm-hmm. out of a timeout. So yeah. there were some definite mental mistakes defensively. Uh, but this is one of those games where there's a lot of correctable things too, which gives me some hope, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I think they left some points out there. I think drones is the guy. There's definitely some encouraging things coming out of this game too, but very, very frustrating loss. But this is what happens when you have an incomplete team. Yep. Completely. One last thing I'll add, um, as, as you and Scott kind of alluded to, it was never this year. It was always next year is, is, really what we're aiming for for Virginia Tech, getting back to a bowl game, being a kind of a middle-of-the-pack ACC team. Um, I, I just wanted to respond to something I saw that came up on your Twitter, Mike, was somebody saying, like, if this Virginia Tech team can't win seven games, they should probably fire Fry. Uh, fire Fry. And you were like, absolutely the hell not. And, and just to me, it's like that would be the epitome of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah, like, yeah. Y- we have got to stop this, like – expectation to win within two years especially with pry i think has been pretty honest and open about what his plan is which is rebuild high school recruiting pipelines in the state of virginia which and were un- unfathomably it. destroyed by fuente and you're right yeah. he's doing it he's doing it the but- recruiting classes reflect like the guys he's bringing in out of virginia reflect that he's bringing in four-star prospects in state so mm-hmm. now you're going to fire him and burn it all down that doesn't make any sense. Mm-mm. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, you're in the conversation. Chris Cole uh, was from Salem. Uh, not to go too far down the rabbit hole. One of the best linebackers in the country. Uh, high four star. He chose Georgia. Okay. Right. He, he's right down the road. He's 30 minutes away in Salem. Um, right in Virginia Tech's backyard. Tech would not have even been in that conversation with Fuente. Mm-hmm. And he ends up at Georgia and he was a finalist at Virginia Tech. So like. The Hokies were in that conversation. Pry and his staff are recruiting him very hard. Fuente would not have even been in that conversation. So now you're going to burn all that down on the off chance that somebody comes out of Salem High School, a really good, you know, really good football school right there on 81 in Virginia Tech's own backyard. They're going to have a four or five star prospect that Tech's going to be in on, and you're just going to throw it all out because Tech lost to Rutgers in year two of a rebuild. Give me a break. And you can't throw that away anymore because of the transfer portal. Because say something goes wrong with him and he wants to transfer home. Who's home? Yeah. Yeah. He's going to come back to Tech because he likes the, you know, he liked the staff. The staff treated him well. Tech's going to remain in the conversation. You know, he's going to Georgia because Georgia's Georgia. They're sending guys to the pros. They're winning national championships. I get all that. Virginia Tech can't compete with that right now. Sorry, Joey. Yeah, but they can't compete with that right now. Yeah. So, yep. Oh, God, just be, just, base makes me sick. This this is the funny thing to me about, I think, college football in general is, you know, the, the way that, you know, the Lord designs nature to be certain ways. And I think one of the ways is he designs college football to only be played once a week is uh, it gives us enough time to, like, calm down and, like, become happy and excited about our team again by the end of the week and then be ready to fire the coach again on Saturday night. Like, it's yeah, it's a nice, like, weekly cycle we go through. It's fun. I was going to say, and we'll see you again next Saturday.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, same well, time, same to, place. Basically, what happens is you play the games, and then Sunday you recover and take a step back. You take a breather. And then Monday through Wednesday, you basically listen to podcasts. And then Thursday, we're back, baby. We're back. We're ready to be heard again. We're ready. Please subscribe. Please subscribe. <laughs> yeah, please subscribe, by the way. Yeah. Good time to watching, add that in. By the way, if you're watching this on YouTube right now and you're not subscribed, please uh, please do something about that. We appreciate yeah, that. for sure. Uh, the people that subscribe and uh, help pump those numbers up. We appreciate that. Yep. Yeah, please hit the subscribe button. We're trying to get to 250 this season. We hit the 200 mark. I haven't checked the followers list, so we're at probably at 200 even. Help us get mm-hmm. to 250. Hit the subscribe button. BC Podcast ACC on Twitter uh, or on YouTube, as it were. Yes, um, and it's on again, the ticker as it goes by. It is. It is. Um, hit the bell, too, by the way. That's how you know when we're going live, so you can come and jump in the comments. We're having a lot of fun with the commenters tonight. So thank you to all the folks joining us right now that are in the comments. We are, we are having a lot of fun with you guys. So thank you. Thank you for spending your Saturday night with us. Uh, Syracuse, uh, sorry, Syracuse. Uh, bu- 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 where were we? Rutgers 35, Virginia Tech 16. Mike, where to? I mean, may as well talk about Syracuse. You were teeing that up. I guess. Speaking of teams that scored 35 points tonight, Syracuse 35, Purdue 20. Um, also a game that, Wagon. by uh, you know, parenting situations, did not get a lot of eyes wagon. on. But wagon. Yeah, I think Syracuse might be a small bit of a wagon here yeah they're uh, a wa- i mean they're a wagon Purdue, Purdue, okay listen purdue did everything they could to lose this game right hudson mm-hmm. card had the interception uh he lost three fumbles syracuse also uh, purdue was also lucky they got gifted a possession syracuse could have had a fourth fumble uh syracuse is a wagon garrett schrader was really really good in this game now they were building the entire thing out of garrett schrader tonight for better or worse I ha- so I have a I have a co-host at SI. He's a Syracuse alum. He's one of my editors. We were on tonight at the same time. You know, he was I, I was writing, he was editing myself. Uh, he tweeted early on. He goes, uh, "It was after Schrader's first touchdown run." He said, "Oh, it's a Schrader game tonight," <laughs> because it was clear from the start that it was going to be Schrader or bust. And Schrader's passing numbers were not phenomenal. He's 14 of 28, 184, and interception. He ran for 195 yards on 25 carries, averaged almost eight yards per carry, and had four touchdowns on the ground. Dudes this was to the a right. Dudes to the left stuck in the middle with you. Wagon. Almost wagon. 400 yards of total offense for Garrett Schrader here, and more of them rushing than passing. I have a take. I think Dino's job safe. He's fine. He's fine. Yeah, he's. They're fine. Yeah. Uh, Syracuse is. Uh, we had that conversation last night about like what team is the bar in the ACC. I think Syracuse might be better than we think. Syracuse hadn't played anybody the first two weeks of the season. I know that. I fully acknowledge. I don't think Purdue's very good. Purdue lost to Fresno State. They could have easily lost in Blacksburg last weekend, and they weren't. I know the score got a little bit competitive, but there was no point tonight watching this game where I thought Syracuse was going to lose the football game. Like Syracuse went into West Lafayette, got ahead early, kind of controlled the tempo. Purdue tried to sneak their way back into the game, and then Syracuse just shut the damn door on them. There was no point tonight where I really thought Purdue was going to win this football game. Mm -hmm. Syracuse was really impressive. Uh, this is a team that I think I'm upgrading a little bit through three weeks. I understand the first two games. You know, you're you play Colgate in the opener, you beat the piss out of them, right? 
and it was whatever it was, 65 nothing. and you play Western Michigan last weekend. You beat them by six scores. But you go into West Lafayette, get a win against a Big Ten team. You have Army next weekend, which I think obviously is a very winnable game. Then you have Clemson at home. And I also think that is a winnable game. And I think if you start this season with not only beating three teams, you beat Army, you get to four wins, then you you know, you know, welcome Clemson to the Dome, you get that dub, we're cooking with gas, baby, before the real tough part of the schedule. We thought Clemson, we thought this Clemson, North Carolina, Florida State death now for, South, or, uh, for uh, Syracuse is going to be like the real, you know, sticking point in the schedule. Syracuse, if they beat Clemson especially, this has an opportunity to be like a nine or a 10 win team this year, which seems preposterous. But the back half of the schedule. Call an ambulance, but not for me situation. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the back half of the schedule is real manageable. They go to Blacksburg on Thursday night, tough environment, but you're going to be favored there. BC. They're going to win. BC at home. Home against Pitt. Pitt looks bad. At Georgia Tech, Syracuse is probably favored there. Home against Wake Forest. Wake Forest, we'll talk about them in a minute. Didn't look particularly inspiring today against Old Dominion. There are some games here that I think Syracuse can win in the back half of the schedule, and especially with the start they've had. This could be an eight or nine win team this year. That's entirely on the table. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I just look at <laughs> their final five games, as you mentioned, at Virginia Tech, home against Boston College, home against Pitt, at Georgia Tech, home against Wake Forest. Syracuse has looked definitively better than pretty much every single one of those teams. Every one like, of them. I like we can't even have an argument about Virginia Tech, Pitt, or Boston College looking better than Syracuse has so far. Like, yep. won't even have that discussion. Yep. Um, I definitely think that there's arguments to be made. They've looked better than Georgia Tech or Wake Forest. Like, yep. <laughs> man, and I'm That's looking. I'm looking, I'm looking in two weeks back to back. You've got Clemson at home and at North Carolina. I am absolutely not going to sit here and tell you that Syracuse can't win either one of those games. If I'm telling you what, we talk about the teams that can sneak to Charlotte. We're getting ahead of ourselves. No, let's not do that yet. Admittedly. Admittedly. I mean, you beat Army next week and that's four. And we have five more games here. Let's get nuts. (laughs) We have... They beat Army. That's 4-0, and right? And then we're talking about the back half of the schedule, five games. They're going to be favored in four of them. Mm-hmm. If, you know, assuming, you know. Assuming this might be 9 win Syracuse. Yep. That might be 9 win Syracuse. And who's to say they can't win all those back half games? That's before even talking about the North Carolina, Florida State, Clemson stretch. Now, so, I do want to call something out that we learned today. Uh, Aranda Gadsden out for the year. Um, that was their number one receiving option. That mm-hmm. is not not a great sign. Not um, good. It, is, it yeah, does not help good. anything. Um, there's something else I want to call out here, Mike. Um, the comment's good. I'm sorry. The comment. The comment's very good. <laughs> but yeah. Nobody. Good call. Good. good call. Yeah. Um, Mike Syracuse is doing it again. They're doing it again. There's only like four guys on this offense that touch the ball. Like yeah, ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Garrett Schrader, 28 passing attempts. Garrett Schrader, 25 rushing attempts. LaQuint Allen, 17 rushing attempts. LaQuint Allen, six catches. Damian Alford, four catches. Donovan Brown, four catches. Yeah. There were two plays of this game <laughs> that did not end in the hands of one of those four guys. Yeah. And actually, no, I'm sorry. There was one play, and that might have been a kneel down, so which would mean zero plays uh, yeah. by this offense that did not end in the hands of one of those four guys. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 again, I I tend to think that this will become a problem at some point that you don't yeah. have a Ronde Gadsden that you're, you know, you're just boiling it all down to like, you know, the quarterback and three skill guys, but it just, it, it bothers me conceptually because it seems like it should be kind of easy to figure out. And yet for years now, <laughs> nobody's been able to figure it out. So clearly Syracuse uh, and Dino Babers and that staff know something that I don't. They can't keep getting away with this. They can't keep getting away with this. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just, I'm blown away. Um, it, it helps, by the way, Syracuse wins this game. Um, they were plus three in turnovers. Um, that'll that'll take you a long way. Yep. Um, so, for you know, for what that's worth. But they also case. got screwed out of a turnover, in my opinion, at the end of the yeah. game. Um, yep. So there was a situation on the sideline where yeah, actually there was two four. turnovers. So yeah. they were Purdue was going into the red zone, they fumbled and Syracuse recovered, but upon review, a Purdue player had come in contact with the ball while also being in contact with out of bounds. Like hey, basically his one hand was out of bounds and his other hand glanced the ball, therefore mm-hmm. a dead ball. Yep. Um then about rules. three possessions later Purdue Purdue gets Syracuse so strips the ball, and it was a big scrum. But like to me, it seemed like Syracuse recovered the ball. But the, basically, the refs didn't know, and they were like, "Up, oh, offense retains possession." Then they went to review it, and like they couldn't see anything because like there's a bunch of people. But like there was more orange around than black, and you know orange jerseys than black jerseys. You know, and I I thought they got screwed out of two turnovers, but whatever. Yep. Yeah, impressive win for Syracuse. I, I don't have a whole lot else here. I, it has been kind of just a weird – I guess the last thing that I'll say is it has been a weird um, just like set of games that they've had to play. Like two opponents that they've been – you know, definitively they've had them outmatched. In this game against a Purdue team that, you know, beat Virginia Tech on the road last week, but like at this point what does that mean? And it also with like a six-hour weather delay in the middle, like – there's there's just a lot of questions I think around this Purdue team and what they they've gone through so far this year of like are they good are they not, um, but I don't think that takes away anything from the Syracuse win. It's just it's more just trying to determine what does this mean. You know how do I factor this into what I expect from Syracuse moving forward. Um, but as we're saying, I mean I I think winning in this game in the way that they did and as emphatically and doing it on the road uh, at Purdue on national television. I mean I think it's it's a good sign. For Syracuse, and as we said, I mean, I, I cannot imagine Dino Babers getting fired here unless something really, really goes south from here. Now, now, um, let's talk about this comment real quick. Evan Sandage, no Robert and I or Sean Tucker, no problem. Dino's team has an established identity. Hard to disagree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really hard to disagree with that. And this is almost like a Wake Forest light situation where. 
not from a coaching standpoint, but from a personnel standpoint, we talk about Wake Forest being kind of like skill player or offensive or like quarterback agnostic, right? We talk about Wake Forest because they always seem to find a plug-and-play guy, a quarterback, and they have the system that works with that slow mesh. Syracuse does feel like they have a bit of an identity now uh, with kind of what they've had with Sean Tucker. And now that he's gone, they still have Garrett Schrader, and there's a level of comfort there with him running the football and, you know, throwing it just enough to keep defenses off balance. So I think there's definitely uh, identity there for Syracuse, and it does seem to be working. It's just weird feeling like the identity is just get the ball to like three people. And it's working. It I, I mean, I don't get it. I What can I say? Like, whatever works. Yeah. Works. I mean, it's going to. Help Dino keep his job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Clearly. Syracuse 35, Purdue 20. Uh, where else, Mike? Let's talk about Minnesota, North Carolina. Let's do it. I, I'm again didn't get to watch much of any of this game, but impressed that North Carolina was able to get a lead here and kind of keep Minnesota at arm's length the rest of the way. Um, the entire game, really. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I watched a good bit of this. I so I was holding a Minnesota plus six and a half ticket and Minnesota kept me entertained for most of this. Like they could do something here. Uh, this was a game where Carolina was definitely the better team. Um, there was no doubt about that. There was never really a point in time where I thought that Carolina was going to lose this game. Uh, Minnesota really had trouble. Uh, <laughs> they had trouble throwing it, which is not a surprise. Uh, they averaged about five and a half yards per carry, but Carolina got out to that early lead. And then Minnesota really had to kind of scratch and claw their way back into it. And Minnesota really likes to run the ball and commit mm-hmm. to it. And they couldn't commit to it as much as they want to, just because you're down a couple scores, you're trying to keep yourself in it. Minnesota went three for 12 on third down in this game. Um, that proved to be real important, but I was actually pretty surprised at the ease in which Carolina moved the football here. Um, you know, it, it was a seven, a seven to ten point game most of the way, and North Carolina really pulled away late. But I thought Carolina's offense throughout the game just looked more impressive. They looked more comfortable. Like Drake May had a couple interceptions here that weren't great, and this was the first time all year where Carolina really struggled to run the football. Mm-hmm. So you got to give credit to Minnesota's defense, especially because I think that was a big reason why Minnesota stuck in this game is because. Carolina really committed to running the football. They ran it 37 times for only 105 yards here. Kobe. So, yeah, Kobe, big time Kobe candidate here. So, Carolina really struggled to run the ball. And this is the first time all year where we had to see Drake May put the ball in the air. And uh, quite honestly, like if Carolina doesn't have Drake May here, they're in a lot of trouble. Uh, May throws for 414. So, we were talking last night on the Friday night show about you know Drake May and how this Carolina offense has looked and the fact that he hasn't really had to throw the ball a ton yet this year to you know help Carolina win football games he had to do it today like the the 414 yards a couple touchdowns Nate McCollum 15 for 165 and a touchdown he was extremely impressive Minnesota had no answer for him all day wish he played what, for my team I mean really what this boiled down to was Carolina had more playmakers and they just kind of separated themselves late um, that Nate McCollum comment was very funny, uh, by the way. Uh, so, Thanks. yeah, Mi- Minnesota. Uh, yeah, Minnesota didn't really have much going through the air. Uh, 
Ethan Calcamanis at 11 to 29 for 133. We never sold Minnesota as a heavy passing attack type team, uh, a team that was going to throw the ball with much success. We knew they were going to commit to the run. Darius Taylor did have a nice game, 22 for 138 at 6.3 yards per carry, had a touchdown. But this was a game where Minnesota really had to throw the ball with some success because Minnesota really couldn't keep Carolina's offense off the field. Mm -hmm. And anytime you have your opponent go 12 for 17 on third down, you're going to be up against it a little bit, especially when you're a one-dimensional offense, and that's what Minnesota is. So once Minnesota got down, they were never really threatening to win the game. But they were competitive for most of it, and Carolina really pulled away late. And this is kind of a hat tip game uh, for Carolina for kind of figuring it out offensively because didn't always look great, wasn't always pretty, had some turnovers. Uh, but you know, Drake May and having that kind of quarterback and having you know that kind of impact player at the most important position on the field, this was a game where you know having that guy versus not having that guy really made a difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, credit to North Carolina's defense here. I mean, holding Minnesota to only 303 yards on 61 snaps. I mean, that's just a shade under five yards of play, which sounds like a lot, but it's really not. It's it's that's a really a pretty good line, especially when you know Minnesota ends up averaging 4.4 yards per passing attempt. Like, you know, that, that's that's really pretty good. So credit to North Carolina's defense there, as you mentioned. I mean, Nate, Nate McCollum had a massive game here for North Carolina, and, and Drake May a casual almost 75% completions for 414 yards, two touchdowns. I did have the two picks here, but um, it's, it is funny watching the contrast of Amari and Hampton who went for, I think about 230 yards last week and this week, 13 carries for 46 yards. Um, Not surprising to me that North Carolina was not able to run the ball against Minnesota, um, but also not that surprising that they had a lot of, uh, a lot of success passing the ball here. So, right. Um, we figured this was a, a dangerous spot for the Tar Heels, a uh, a bit of a precarious one. We we both had Minnesota plus the eight, I think, on the uh, on the preview, thinking this was going to be a, a dangerous, you know, near miss if not a loss for North Carolina. So credit to the Tar Heels for taking care of business and uh, and and getting this one done. I, I don't have a lot here. I just kind of impressed with the way that North Carolina played and was able to keep keep their offense on the field. As you mentioned, I think that that twelve for seventeen on third downs is a huge. A huge number here, and not to mention they outgained Minnesota by 200 yards on the day. So, uh, credit to the Tar Heels. Yeah, big time. Yeah, this is a Carolina team that's still going to be a problem. They're fi- they're mm-hmm. finding out different ways to win, which we mm-hmm. couldn't always say about Mac Brown coach teams in the past offensively. For as good as they were with Phil Longo as the OC, we weren't always convinced that Carolina could have like multiple ways to win. Um, they're running the ball well. Today they didn't. So what they do, they pivoted and Drake May threw for 414. <laughs> so mm-hmm. this is a dangerous offense and they have a defense that's competent, I think. Uh, are they fantastic? No. Are they bottom of the barrel terrible like they have been in some years recently? No, they're not. So yep. an average defense and a very good offense. North Carolina 3-0 and uh, for in back-to-back years for the first time in quite a while. So... Um, Yep. Good start for the Tar Heels. Yep. 3-0. 31-13 winners over Minnesota. Mike, can we go to Oxford here? Yeah, let's let's do it. Cause I did not get eyes on this game at all, so this is the first one I really didn't watch. So this is all you here. 
Yeah, a bit of a uh, bit of a bedtime situation that happened in our house, so I did not get eyes on okay. Syracuse, yeah. Purdue, or uh, yeah. the backyard brawl, but I did get eyes on this game. Uh, Ole Miss forty eight, Georgia Tech 30, 23, Sorry, um, if if you see that final score and you think, man, this is a, a blowout, a twenty five point loss, it, it that's not really the this doesn't tell the story of the game. Like this was a ten to three game at halftime. Um, I thought Georgia Tech actually like acquitted themselves really pretty well here. I. I'm becoming impressed with Haynes King. I think he looks pretty good at quarterback. He looks pretty comfortable, looks pretty uh, confident. Um, They had some issues in this game, kind of pushing the ball down the field for the most part. Um, They, a lot of their passes were short and intermediate stuff. I don't know if that's a receiver issue. I don't know if that's an offensive line issue, a scheme issue. It's something, but I think that was a big difference maker in this game was that they were not able to throw the ball down the field. Um, on offense, but they did move the ball. I mean, they rack up almost 500 yards of offense. Uh, I, I This is a distinctly improved offense, I think, from last year. Mike, the problem here was on defense for Georgia Tech, kind of in the way that I thought it was going to be. Um, this defense, man. Like, sucks. Yeah, I, I don't want to say it sucks, but like it kind of sucks. It um, sucks. Defense sucks. I mean, this was a unit that was supposed to be pretty decent coming into the year. Mm-hmm. This defense is vastly underwhelmed. For as yeah. decent as the offense has been, the defense has been. There's a definite regression here on defense. Um, yeah, I, I will say you, defense. you see 48 points. I mean, Ole Miss scored 21 points, three touchdowns on three short fields two of them from special teams gaffes, another one from a, a turnover on downs, um, all of which I think gave them the ball with about 30 yards to go till the end zone. So like, again, keep that in mind, but like there were some, there were a number of big plays that Ole Miss ripped off on yards after contact. And I think that's, that's really the the number that it's, it's not published. I can't go find this anywhere, but I'm just telling you having watched this game, there were so many yards and so much that Ole Miss accomplished on offense after contact which is similar to what we saw last week and is similar to what we saw in the second half against Louisville a couple weeks ago. So this is becoming a theme for this defense is that they take bad angles, they cannot tackle very well, and all of a sudden opposing offenses are just ripping off big gains, big plays that are changing uh, changing the outcomes of these games. Um, so that's the thing that I, I figured was going to be a concern. It became that way. It took it took into the you know, late into the third quarter, if not into the fourth quarter, to really start to bite Georgia Tech in the ass. Yep. Um, but you know, just wanted to call that out is that that is that is becoming a theme here is they are getting contact on guys, they are not getting them to the ground, and they're turning into big gains for opponents. Yeah. Um, as I think Lee nobody commented, uh, Georgia Tech gambled at the end of the game. Brent Key did coach this game to win it. Yeah. which is different than coaching it to not get blown out. As I mentioned, they went for it on fourth down at one point in their own territory um, and, and came up short and basically almost got the ball, I think, around the 30-yard line. Yeah. So that happens. There's another time that they had the ball inside the 10-yard line. They went for it instead of kicking a field goal, didn't get it. Um, so, again, they they did that instead of taking points. So that yep. changes kind of the outcome. Yep. Um there was, I think it was early in the game, uh, they they attempted like a 46-yard field goal, something like that with Aiden Burr. It was blocked. And when you think of a blocked field goal, I think most of the time what you see is something that kind of gets tipped and it, it only goes about 20 yards in the air or something and it kind of falls to the ground and that's it. No, no, no. Mike, this was a full-on like Dikembe, no, 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 not in my house, like blocked it, pushed it backwards. 
there was a whole chase down the middle of the field. Uh, finally, the play ends with Ole Miss with the ball about you know the 32 yard line or so going in. Um, David Shanahan, the punter, by the way, got kind of like rolled up on that play and was banged up, and I think that changed some things. Um, I mean, I I texted you uh, in our group chat with Scott, and I said, Joey, have not seen a second of Georgia Tech. How does Georgia Tech look? And you said, acquitting themselves pretty well, except for the effing blocked field goal. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, okay. And then I saw the replay of it, and I was like, oh, I see why he's mad now. Yeah. Not only does Ole Miss take over, they take over with also like a 40-yard gain on the play. Um that was bad. And then, yes, and Dennis 133. I was about to mention this. The other special teams gaffe was Georgia Tech again with the ball. You know, they went, they tried to fake a punt because, again, the punter was kind of banged up. And we're not sure, you know, how much he's going to be capable. They're going to try to fake a punt on their own into the field. Mike, there was, they basically like, they ran a play, they, they uh, snapped the ball, and they had a tight end coming across the formation. They were going to try to get him out into the flat, throw him the ball, and, and see if he can get a first down. I don't know if it was pass interference. I don't know if it was defensive holding. But whatever that defender did to him, you're not allowed to do at any position, at any play, on any time on a football field. And it was right in front of the official, and I don't know how he didn't call it. Like, that was an atrocious non-call that would have been a first down for Georgia Tech. Didn't get it. Whatever. Um, by the way, while we're talking about just other just random chain officiating gang. weirdness. I was going to say chain gang. Let's do it. Georgia Tech had their drives stopped three separate times, twice in the second Pause. quarter. Pause. Yes. Scott, Scott, uh, play the drop for me. Thank you. Continue. I have never seen this in all of my days watching college football. Georgia Tech had a drive stopped twice midway through the second quarter and then again in the third quarter. So after a 20-minute halftime break, they had a drive stopped three separate times in this game because the chains on the sideline, like, broke. They just broke. Like, they just weren't attached anymore. Which brings me to another point, which, like, is probably a topic for a different podcast, but it's 2023. Why are we still measuring, like yards no. a game with this was links one of on a thoughts. chain what are we doing this was one of my thoughts it's yeah. like yeah we, we've got self-driving cars that like crash into stuff like why are we still using chains on, on the field like are we kidding um yeah and and the fact that it was only happening on georgia tech drives when you're in oxford there was a little piece of me that was like is there is there something going on here um because I, I don't know, just weird gamesmanship, maybe. Like, would I put it past Ole Miss to do that? No. I don't know. Um, yeah, Lee Nobody, three chains using the game, which is, you know, one more than would make a good rap album. But, that, um, <laughs> what? Very good, Joey. Hat tip. Very good. I, I, uh, I, I have some questions just in regard to, like, I'm not sure we're going to see a single college football game this year that uses like more than one chain. <laughs> yeah, and, one set of and we went through three sets tonight. Yeah, the, I mean, this game was is wacky in in a lot of ways. It was it was really strange. Again, the score says that this was a th- you know a three score game, a, a big margin, etc. Yeah, 
this was more competitive than that. Um, I think the way that Brent Key managed this game, trying to win it instead of just trying to avoid getting blown out, which I commend, by the way, I support you in doing that. I think that's what ends up with a margin here. Uh, By the way, Ole Miss, (laughs) Georgia Tech scores with about a minute left, goes for the onside kick, doesn't get it, game's over, right? I think Tech maybe had a couple timeouts, but this is just like take a couple knees, game's over. Uh, instead, Ole Miss puts in Spencer Sanders at quarterback. Uh, they hand it off a couple times, and one of them goes to the house. So Ole Miss definitively covers, regardless of what number you got there. Um, I I don't blame them, but again, this is a garbage time score. Like they could have just as easily taken a knee, and this would have been a, a 41-23 outcome, right? Like yeah. So I I yeah. appreciate the point you made about Brent Key like coaching this game to win versus coaching not to lose. Mm-hmm. Because we talked about this before we hit record very briefly. So I would rather in a game where I'm vastly outmatched, I'd rather have my coach just play to win. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you get blown out, that's kind of a consequence, right? Versus playing it close and not really feeling like you ever have a chance. Right. Obviously, if you're coaching to win when you're vastly outgunned, you open yourself up to the wide variability of outcomes where, you know, you could win the game, you could lose close, but in reality, and in most cases, you're probably going to lose by a lot. Right. And this is a game here where, you know, obviously all miss pulls away. They win by 25, they cover the spread, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that Brent key coached to win. Mm-hmm. If Brent Key coached this game with how it played out, based on what you're telling me, if Brent Key coached this game tonight not to lose, Georgia Tech's probably covering. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was a game that was, you know, close for a decent amount of time here. Like, Ole Miss I mean, kicks a field goal with a little under eight minutes left in the fourth quarter to make it 27-17. Yeah. This is a 10-point game with less than eight minutes to go, right? Yeah. Like, so, yeah, I, I don't really. So, I mean, coming out of it, just based on what you're telling me, and I'll try to go back and at least watch a condensed game of this tomorrow just to see if I feel any different about it. But like, based on what you're telling me, this is kind of like a mix of what we were talking about on the preview. It was a lot of like Ole Miss is just better and they're going to run away with it. And then also okay, Georgia Tech's acquitting themselves well, but doesn't have a chance to win, but really is also, like, coaching not to lose. It was kind of a mix of a couple different things we talked about in the preview. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I'm interested. I'm going to try to watch a condensed game of this because I am interested to see just kind of how I feel just based on what you're telling me coming out of this. Not that yeah. I don't believe you, of course. I just want to see for myself. Yeah. Um, I, one last thing I'll mention here, by the way, Haynes King is now uh, a shade over 900 yards passing with nine touchdowns and one interception through three games. This is pretty clearly to me the best quarterback play we've seen at Georgia Tech, certainly since Paul Johnson left. Um, and I, I would argue it, it, it's kind of it's it's a little bit of an apples to oranges situation, but like this probably goes back at least to Justin Thomas was you know like the, mm-hmm. the last like really solid competent quarterback play that we were getting here so the football a, player not the golfer yeah right right, <laughs> right. yeah um yeah he's he's not been competent play recently but um nobody's really competent on the golf course who are we kidding um right. yeah <laughs> but 
Uh, yeah, Haynes King, I, I think they might have something here. Uh, I, I think this is this is definitively not one of the worst quarterbacks in the ACC. Um, it, it, you know, and that's I think better than what we were really hoping for coming into the year. Like it's it's a good situation on offense right now. Apropos of nothing, uh, Jeff Sims got benched against Northern Illinois tonight. So just wanted to throw out yikes, yikes. So all the physical gifts in the world, but uh, the issues are between the ears there. I was going to say not, not the physical gifts between the ears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's all I really had here. Um, again, Texas offense moving the ball. Well, defense, dude, we got it. We got to do something about this. It's, it's gotten worse. It's regressed. And I, I don't, I can't really explain why um, maybe it's yeah. the linebacker play. It, it seems like there's been a bunch of like, small injuries like not bad enough to uh to knock people out of games but like the same guys keep going down and needing to take a couple <laughs> plays off kind of thing i don't know it's it's all very strange so in any case shout out adam parker mm-hmm. my guy <laughs> in the chat definitely not yeah yeah i you know i might be four or five deep too it's fine um in any case Ole miss 48 georgia tech 23 mike that recap brought to you by section 103.com The internet's premier place for all things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel with t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, things for men, women, children, something for the whole family. They got some performance wear just like this. Super comfortable, looks great. Official word marks, official tech gold. Uh, They got the ATL logo. They've got buttons and and all sorts of stickers and, and all sorts of good stuff. Anything you need to show people that you support Georgia Tech, go there and, and get it all. Uh, it is use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order at section103.com. Saw a number of pictures of folks, you know, that were at the game today in Oxford wearing that, uh, wearing section 103 and promoting Georgia Tech and, and really supporting our, our brand. So uh, appreciate it to those who have. Uh, please, please go get stuff from there. Uh, they've got the coach hoodie, by the way, Brent Key running up and down the sideline wearing like a sleeveless hoodie. I, the kids are doing that these days. I don't get it. Maybe you do. Maybe you just want to be like Brent Key. Um, so, uh, in any case, go find that and all sorts of good things at section103.com and use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Uh, thanks to Steven and the gang. Shout out to them. They, they tried to give out a sweet deal for a Georgia Tech win. I think it was going to be uh, playing up against Ole Miss being number 20, number 17 in the country. Uh, it was going to be 17% off, but alas, we'll have to wait until uh, another uh, another opportunity for Georgia Tech to get a win to get more sweet deals at section103.com. Mike, where to? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. West Virginia 17, Pittsburgh 6. Joey, I think Pittsburgh has a quarterback problem. Dude, what are we doing, Pitt? Yo, Phil Dracovic is some ass. My goodness. He sucks. He sucks, (laughs) man. What has happened to Phil Dracovic? He, he broke eight. his wrist two years ago, and, and he sucked it. ever since. Okay, Scott, I'm going to list off the passing stats. You ready? I'm ready. Phil Dracovic, 8 of 20, 81 yards and three interceptions. 
Is that is good? that good? Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. That's back-to-back weeks nope. that he has been sub-50% passing. He was, what on earth has gotten into him? He was, what, 10 of 33 last weekend? 10 of 32, yeah, I think it was. 10 of 32 and, and 8 of 20. Wait, somebody, somebody in the chat a while back commented the stat line, 18 of 57 or something. I don't remember, but Dude, shout out to the, play that to the guy. viewer. Oh, here we go. Oh, Lucas. Jerkovich is 18 to 52 in the last two games. He's so bad. I mean, this is actually so. Alex Kirschner, split zone duo, he was tweeting something. He's a Pitt fan. He was tweeting something about Jerkovic, and he didn't even refer to him by name. He just said, you know, Pitt's quarterback is like so bad, you know, essentially doesn't know his left from his right. And I basically tweeted him. I don't even know if he responded to it, but I tweeted to him and I said, like, the, the one thing we got wrong during COVID, like the weird COVID year in 2020 with the strange college football season and the Big Ten, like, didn't even play till October, all that weird stuff was going on. The one take that we all got wrong was that Phil Dracovic was a good quarterback. Because in 2020, he was. And he's been ass ever since. And the broken wrist thing or whatever it was, the tendon or whatever happened to his wrist, ever since then, he has been terrible terrible it really has um i was on west virginia i bet west virginia i was real confident in west virginia joey i know that you picked pit on the preview but you were not confident in the pick at all this was one of those like coin flip games a really weird spread i leaned into it and just took west virginia mm-hmm. my whole idea behind that was that pitt's rushing defense looked terrible against cincinnati by the way cincinnati lost to miami of ohio so how bad is pittsburgh by the way mm-hmm. so just transitive property but you know i lean into it because i was like all right west virginia will establish a run a little bit in this game uh they really didn't like it really took them a while to get going offensively but pittsburgh just could not move the ball offensively Mm-mm. their offense so we talked about virginia tech's offense being bad i wanted to rant about virginia tech's offense pitt's offense is worse I think Pitt has the worst offense in the ACC. By the way, if UVA plays Anthony Calandria the rest of the year, I think Pitt has the worst offense in the ACC. Pitt has yeah. nowhere to turn other than Phil Dracovic. This is like Pitt's offense could be the worst in the conference this year. Bad, bad, bad. Really, really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm downgrading Pitt. I, I had that take last night on the podcast. Like, if Pitt were to lose this game tonight and not look very good doing it, which, by the way, they looked terrible. Not that West Virginia looked good, but Pitt looked terrible. This is this has the potential to be like a four-win Pitt team this year. Yeah. Oh, it totally does. Uh, this is this is real bad. I, I think I'd like to walk back some takes I had about Pittsburgh in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Like this is how bad this is getting. So they don't have a quarterback. If they have Keaton, I saw somebody tweet this at me. If they had Keaton Slovis, they win this game tonight. Thousand percent. Thousand percent. Thousand percent. Oh man. I mean, it's, I mean, Joey. <sighs> Joey, it's not the worst take. I mean, it's not no. the worst take. Is Keaton Slovis turned the ball over three times tonight? I mean, are you asking me to like? With a gun to my head, guarantee that Keaton Slovis isn't going to turn the ball over three times. Okay, look, look, okay, okay, maybe that maybe the better <laughs> conversation is around the eight for twenty stat line. Yeah, like Keaton Slovis isn't going eight for twenty. 
He's he's not going sub fifty percent two weeks in a row with three with. I mean, Dracovic, did he turn the ball over last week? I'm sure he did. No, he had three touchdowns last week on 10 okay. completions. Like, <laughs> 10 completions. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. Um, oh. Yeah, keep in mind, by the way, that Pitt was down 27 to 7 last week before scoring a couple of late touchdowns to make that look better. Yeah. Um, this is, man, this is, this is a bad situation for Pitt. Like, just straight up, it is not good. <laughs> And I, I will say, I mean, from a rushing defense standpoint, I mean, for C.J. Donaldson, J- Jalen Anderson for West Virginia to go for 37 carries for only 164 yards, like that's, it's all things considered, not terrible. Um, I mean, they 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 were able to keep the West Virginia rushing attack in check, especially considering the passing attack was six of 11 for 60 yards, like. You know, I, I don't know. This, this does look like on the box score, it looks like a weird game. I don't know if I'm getting a truncated box score or like what exactly happened here, but just from what I can tell, it, it's, it's a bad situation for Pitt. Like you've got to figure out something to move the ball a little bit more consistently than what you're doing. Yeah. Cause yeah, this is going to get you beat a lot. Um, it does not seem like this defense is, is good enough to, win games 10 to six all year. Like it, it's just not <laughs> Lee. Nobody big brain Narduzzi offered Jakovic for a stay on the open portal. Yeah. Because Frank Signetti's the OC. Like I, I'm sure Lee knows that because Lee is a loyal listener and mm-hmm. very involved in our podcast. Lee knows that, but like this was a Frank Signetti thing through and through. This wasn't like a Phil Jakovic is the best quarterback on the market thing. This is a, he knows Signetti. Signetti knows him, and he's got a spot here if he wants it. That's all that that was. I, I feel and, like I'm at this point. I must be just like wasting brain power trying to understand how 2020 Boston College was as good as they were, and just every everything about that that whole program has just like kind of crumbled since then. Like none of it makes sense. Like Dracovic's not as good. Signetti's not nearly as yeah. good. That team is not nearly as good. All of it just it's it's kind of mind boggling. Like it is. It shouldn't be that bad. No, I know. I know. I don't know. Uh, Neil Brown is the Neil Brown saves his job. Probably. I think so. I think he might be safe. Yeah, I've heard some concerns over how much does West Virginia actually care like in a position to uh, make a firing right now. And I think combined with that and winning the backyard brawl and looking like they might push for a bowl game. Uh, I think he's probably fine for now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Narduzzi trying hard to get out of contention for the Michigan State job. Yeah, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll say. I mean, they're not even going to – I mean, gun to my you head. Who, I mean, Pitt's not You know who else is trying hard? Okay. Who? We'll move on. Who? <laughs> I oh, I, I see. Know. I see. I, I get it. <laughs> Thank Sorry. You. Okay. We're going to stop. Yeah, we're going to stop there. Yeah. 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 Pass. Pass. Yeah. <laughs> Pass. Yeah. West Virginia uh, 17, pit six. Anything we have else a few there? more. A few more from Saturday. Yeah. Um, um, Northwestern. Want to go there? Northwestern Duke. Sure. Duke 38, Northwestern 14. I, I again, I don't have a ton here, but Duke got out in front early and just kind of controlled this game. And just like they should have, I mean, Northwestern, not very good. And Duke took care of business like you would hope they would. 268 on the ground. 
Riley um, Leonard was balling again. 15 yeah. of 20 for 219. Like, didn't have to throw it a ton, but when he did, was efficient with it. I mean, he ran it. Dude, it's a good, a good performance. Yeah, ran the ball well. Yep, ran it well. Yep. Northwestern's terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, Duke they're covered. Bad. Duke did Duke cover. Duke covered. Good, teams, yeah. good oh. teams win, great teams cover. So, yeah. It's one of my locks came through. Yep. Uh, I, so, I mean, this At least is one live. of my locks came through. This is live, so I'm just going to. Five, well, I mean, we're talking about locks and we're talking about bets. Uh, Colorado State 21, Colorado 17 with 1340 to play. So just wanted to bring that to everybody's attention. Yeah, I get the sense that uh, Colorado is trying to incite a fight here and uh, they're, they're getting exactly what they want. So Travis, Travis Hunter died in the first half because, I mean, I don't want to get too ranty, but there was a... He, uh, and he's now in the hospital. So he, didn't liter- he didn't literally die, but he is literally in a hospital right now. He's in a hospital because in there the was quarter. a cheap shot late hit from a Colorado State safety where I tweeted something along the lines of, like, we'll throw people out for 50-50 targeting calls, but we won't throw people out for, like, obvious, blatant, dirty plays. Like, hit him late, like, up high in the head. He was trying to take him out of the game. Like, that's the kind of stuff that should get you ejected. Mm-hmm. But he gets to keep playing, and some guy making a tackle on a running back at the line of scrimmage because, you know, he may have led with his head a little bit just trying to make a tackle on a subjective 50-50 play. That guy, oh, if it happened in the third quarter, he can't play next week now. But this guy gets off scot-free. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Uh, yeah, Duke looked good. Let's move on. Louisville 21, Indiana 14. So... I kind of threw out the, uh, oh, if Indiana is competitive in this game late, I'm worried about Louisville. But the way this game went, Louisville jumped out to a 21-0 lead. Indiana got a little bit going in the third quarter. But this is another one of those games where I never felt like Louisville was in a position where they were going to lose, if that makes sense, Joey. Um, I don't know if I'd go that far. Yeah, uh, you think? Okay. All right. Well, all right. So, so Louisville was up 21 to nothing at halftime, and mm-hmm. everything was going great. They then proceeded to get shut out in the second half, which mm-hmm. is not a great look, not a great sign. Um, I think it was it was either Mark, I think it was Mark Ennis who pointed out that we have not seen Louisville Shout put together Mark. a full 60 minutes Shout against Mark, yeah. against an FCS an FBS team yet. They had a, a really good second half against Georgia Tech. They had a really good first half against Indiana. But the other half of those games, they have looked pretty uninspired and, and really have not accomplished a lot on the offense. Um, Indiana had the ball. I I believe they were driving. I think they were in uh, in scoring territory. And I think they went for it on fourth down. I'm trying to remember. This is 12 hours ago. So I got to try to remember exactly how this went. But, um, oh, they had the ball on the one-yard line. I, I actually did realize this. I didn't realize this. Yeah. Uh, Taven Jackson, by the way, on third down with a, about a little under five minutes left, he, I think they had him kind of dead to rights in the backfield. He sc- scrambles out, heads for the pylon, um, got the ball to the pylon. It was called a touchdown. They went back and reviewed, saw that his foot was out of bounds with the ball kind of just inside the one yard line. Um, they run another play. It's a kind of a slow developing halfback dive and Louisville just overran it uh, and stuffed it. 
Um, and so Indiana was like on the goal line with a chance to tie or even maybe go for two, although it's kind of kind of a lot of time left to go for two at that point. But um, they like Indiana had all the momentum and was the better team in the second half, but Louisville got a couple of key stops um, that then they were able to take the you know, take the ball and, and never gave it back. They uh, they got a few first downs and put the game away. So it's I, I don't know what to make of this for Louisville. Um, clearly the better team in the first half. I mean, seemed like they had very little respect for Indiana's secondary. Like they knew that their receivers were, you know, not going to have a hard time getting open against Indiana's secondary. And they, they didn't, um, there were a couple that they hit a number of long passes over the top and could have even had a couple more that, uh, I guess, you know, balls were dropped or something like that. But, um, in any case, you know, good, good win for Louisville to hang on here but definitely not a, a fully complete performance for a full four quarters that you would have liked to see. Um, but still kind of a, a building developing process here under Jeff Brom in year one, I would say. That's what I get for turning off the game halfway <laughs> through a fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, David Jackson like wasn't good until he was for Indiana. <laughs> and all of a sudden I mean, he Indi- Indiana, into- I mean, Indiana sucks. So this is not the best look for louisville i would say yeah yeah now indiana definitely could not move like run the ball at all i mean 27 carries for 58 yards uh that's that's pretty good uh pretty good day for the louisville front seven but it was concerning i I think the biggest issue that they had was getting Taven jackson on the ground um, because louisville did not come away with a sack in this game um, and he was able to extend plays and find guys down the field that um I would say that was probably the biggest issue that Louisville was having defensively. And then offensively, I I will say this, you know, penalty wise, Louisville did have six penalties in this game. It's not too much, but like, I feel like there's, there's a bit of a theme I've seen from Jeff Brom teams, you know, not only this one, but even Purdue last year and maybe even the year before that. It seems like Jeff Brom and his teams are not that afraid of committing penalties. Um, even in, you know, like it feels like it's just been a while. Like we're going to have a little false start or, you know, going to take a cheap shot at somebody out of bounds or going to do, you know, do something dumb. Penalties. They're, they're not, they're not. Um, this is a team that's going to be penalized seven, eight, nine times a game, like pretty much consistently. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Kind of an uneven performance here for Louisville, um, but they got the win. So what can I say? It's the kind of stuff you didn't have to worry about in the Big Ten West, let's put it that way. That is true. That's yeah. true. Well, except when they played Syracuse last year and Syracuse was kicking off from like the plus 35 yard line. That Outside of that. <laughs> Outside of that. That was a game that happened. That was fun. Lee Nobody, 114 AM. Is Duke beating FSU later this season? No. no. Kevin Carpenter. <laughs> Kevin Carpenter. Media overhyped Colorado. Colorado State just scored again from Dennis. Louisville isn't a okay. This is related to current conversation. Louisville is an enigma. They're not bad, but are they good? No, they're not good. They have a very soft schedule. They're fine. They're definitively fine. Are they good? No. I feel like the same comment. I, I was thinking about making this comment related to Georgia Tech, and I think it applies to Louisville too. Um, you know, my like like Rome wasn't built in a day. And if you hear that, and and your first thought is like, okay, but like. Are they building Rome at Louisville? Are they building Rome at Georgia Tech? I would say no, but like 
mid-sized apartment complexes are also not built in a day. Like things take a little bit of time, you know, so just give it a little bit of time. Things will get a little bit better week over week. Um, Jack Plummer, I thought looked really good in the first half, did not look very good in the second half. So I don't know what the deal is there, but that, that continues to be kind of a theme here where he is not consistently very good throughout the game, which is something to kind of monitor here. But yeah, I, I think, I don't know, like when Louisville is good, like in the, within a game, they are good. When they're not, they're not very good. So it's come here for more insights like that. Yeah. On the basketball conference podcast. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Louisville's going to win like probably eight games this year. And I'm just really based on what I've seen so far. I don't Louisville. I, so we had that bit on the season preview with Tony where it was like, all right, what's the team not named Florida state or Clemson that can make the, you know, ACC title game. And, Louisville was like the name that came up just because of their schedule. And, you know, my thought was that, okay, if Louisville is that team, are they going to be there because they kind of lucked into it and they had a really easy schedule and they were just like slightly better than everybody else and they don't really belong in Charlotte? Or is this going to be a team that wins nine or 10, gets to Charlotte and is like very competitive against whoever, Florida State or Clemson at the time, right? I look at this now and I'm like, Louisville has a lot more like 2017 Miami in it than like I'm, I'm trying to use like a better example like 2021 like Pitt or Wake Forest where it's like they're gonna get the title game they're gonna be competitive like against whoever they're playing like if Louis this version of Louisville goes and plays Florida State in the ACC title game they're going to die. Like, I don't, yeah, they're, yeah, they're going to lose by a lot. This isn't like a situation where Louisville is like they have an easy schedule and they're playing well. This is more like yeah. they have an easy schedule and that's why they're three and oh, like that's kind of mm-hmm. the, the vibes I'm getting from Louisville through the first three weeks of the year. This this team absolutely cannot play with Florida State for 60 minutes right now. Like, no, no way. No, things no. can change in two months, you know, so we'll see. But, and Louisville's one of the few teams, and ironically, Louisville's one of the few teams in the conference. Like today, we were making that joke about, okay, if Florida State was playing like half of the teams in the ACC today, they'd probably lose. I'm not sure if they played Louisville today in like a similar type game that they would lose. That's my take on that. I'm not I'm not all in on Louisville, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. I think Lee nobody says it all. Uh, says think they're definitely sloppy, but explosive. And then notes sloppy and explosive is the odd combination. <laughs> yeah, been there. Right. Good job, Lee. No. Good yeah. job. No. Um. Yeah. This looked really good, then looked really bad, but ultimately ends up being fine for Louisville. And that's all I've got here. Louisville plays Miami and Duke. Wins one. Maybe wins neither. Hmm. Maybe wins neither. That's, I mean, could win them both, could win neither. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. High variability there. Anything is possible. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Louisville I'm not a one ha- Indiana 14. I'm, I'm not a hater. I'm just, it's just <laughs> spitting facts. Weird, weird circumstances there. I think <laughs> there are a lot of, there are a lot of outcomes on the table, is what I would say. Yeah. Um, 
one more FBS game from Saturday, and then we need to hit the Friday game as well. Uh, Wake 27, Old Dominion 24. Um, nice job by Wake to hold off Old Dominion at the end here after a, uh, a, a calm, easy cruising win here for the sure. Steam and Deeks. Sure. But, uh, you know, they, they do ultimately hold off Old Dominion at the very end of this game. Except, uh, except. What, what, what's that, Mike? What, what happened? Except for the part where Old Dominion was up 17 nothing at halftime. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that part. What? Um, by the way, go ACC moment of the week candidate here. And I don't know if it wins or not, but um, it might win. Wake had the ball like inside the 10 yard line, first and goal. Mitch Griffiths running around a little bit and uh, quickly turned it. I believe it was a strip sack. And, uh, Old Dominion ran it back like 91 yards for a touchdown. Yeah. 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 Wake already struggling a little bit. They get down to the three yard line and it, uh, yeah, it went south from there. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> Old Dominion for a long period of time here had Wake Forest in hell. Mm-hmm. They had Wake Forest in hell. The whole first half, like the entire first half. Like Wake basically had the one good drive that turned into a touchdown for Old Dominion. So, like, yeah, and and Wake Forest they score in the third quarter like quickly. Like Taylor Marin scored to like twenty seven yard touchdown catch, um, a little under twelve minutes ago in the third quarter. So you're thinking, all right, seventeen seven. So what does Old Dominion do? They they go. It was either three and out or they punted, but then Mitch Griffiths throws a pick. And Old Dominion goes up 24-7. It was a 66-yard return by Lamari and James. So it was 24-7 halfway through the third quarter. Wake was like actively trying to lose this game. Like it, <laughs> This is very uncharacteristic Wake for most of this game, it felt like. No, it was. And Old Dominion was in the spot. I'm going to pull up the... Uh, I'm gonna pull up while the while you do that... Drive summary. Just to be ultra clear with everybody listening to this that whole thing that i did off the top of ultimate you know wake holds off old dominion at the end that that was a joke that's a bit yeah that is that's what we call that, a joke in this that's business. A bit. i was well aware that old dominion had the lead at halftime by a lot and you know wake was in a bad spot midway through the third quarter like uh-huh we were all looking at each other like what the hell is happening here in newport news is that Newport yeah. News we said? Yeah. All right. Yeah, Newport News. That's correct. Yep. Nailed yeah. Nailed it. Um, <laughs> nailed it. Yep. Uh, all right. So Lamar and James had the interception return for a touchdown. Goal. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Wake Forest kicked a field goal. And this is kind of where it went downhill, right? So OTU has that pick six to go up 24-7. Uh Let's talk about their offensive possessions after that. Punt, punt, fumble, punt, downs. End of game. Now let's talk about it's gonna Wake's, lose a game for you, huh? Well, let's talk about Wake's possessions after after they were down 24-7. Field goal, field goal, touchdown, touchdown, punt, and then they got the stop at the end when they were up 27-24. Mm-hmm. So this was a tale of like one offense executing in crunch time. One offense just mailing it in. So to now, be up 24-7 worth, against Wake Forest, real good. 
like worth noting. Bit, you mentioned Wake Forest tough. scored two touchdowns. One of those drives went for 86 mm-hmm. yards. The other drive went for six yards. Mm-hmm. So it kind of helps mm-hmm. when you you get a fumble and you fall on it inside the 10 yard line and uh, you get first and goal to start your drive. So that helps. Yes. But yeah, I mean, wake, this is, this is, I mean, this is, so this is the thing, right. And, and Lee says again, is wake good for overcoming a 17 point deficit or bad for being shut out in the first half? Um, it's TBD. Yes. I think both. Uh, like, both. Yeah, both. Had a bad half, but it's a good sign when you are down and you can kind of hold it together and mount a comeback like this. And, and really on both sides of the ball, right? Because the defense kind of is able to stop the bleeding a little bit, get a turnover to support the effort, that whole thing. And the offense is able to actually figure it out, put it together after a full half of, of really struggling. So um, this is a – it didn't look good today, but I think in the grand scheme, when you look back – you might say this is actually a pretty good win for Wake, the way that they were able to win this game and, and put it in the win column as opposed to a loss column. I mean, it was funny because this game was happening, obviously, before Virginia Tech played. So I was thinking, all right, well, Wake's struggling against Old Dominion. I think Wake's decent. Maybe Old Dominion is not that bad. Maybe that's a good win for Virginia Tech. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the Hokies reminded me when they played Rutgers how bad they actually were. So that's right. I don't know what to think. I mean, in regard to Wake Forest, I don't really know what to think. I think they're yeah. a fine team. I think they're a seven or eight win team and you know, they could threaten for more potentially, but Mitch Griffiths is not I mean, Mitch Griffiths has been fine, but he's not Sam Hartman. So I was gonna say this might just be what Wake is without Sam Hartman or Jamie Newman, you know, with with a Less experienced, maybe somewhat more decidedly average quarterback. Yeah. Which, I mean, they're 3-0, so that sounds nice. Right. You'd take that right now, wouldn't you, Mike? I'd take two and one. <laughs> so would I. God, yeah. Well, a little difference in competition, I would say. Um, and Dennis133 also makes the comment. Uh, the line for Wake-Georgia Tech next week should be interesting. Wake hosting Georgia Tech. I'd say. Um, you could tell me Georgia Tech is favored by three. You could tell me Wake is favored by nine, and neither of those would would surprise me. I have no idea. I have no. I have no idea. No idea either. And I'm not sure what I would do in either of those cases with those lines. I don't know. I'd probably if it was Wake minus nine, I'd probably do Georgia Tech plus, and then if it was Georgia Tech favored, I'd probably do Wake. (laughs) Probably pick Wake. Yeah. So I'm picking the dog. I think I'm picking the dog either way. So I too have no (laughs) idea what I would do. Yep. Yep. Wake 27, Old Dominion 24. Um, Last FBS game of the weekend, Mike, was actually the first one. Uh, Friday night, Maryland 42, Virginia 14. Um, Virginia came out and got a, came out to a 14 nothing lead in this game. Uh, had a couple of pretty hot drives on offense to start the game and things kind of collapsed around them afterwards. It was 14 all at halftime, but Maryland really kind of ran it up in the fourth quarter. Um, the weird thing here was that when we did the preview, we had seen news that Tony Musket was going to be the starter here for Virginia. I turned the game on with 
I think maybe about six minutes left in the first quarter and saw Anthony Calandria in there and thought to myself, like, wow, did Musket get benched already? No. Tony Musket never played in this game. So I don't know if somebody lied or if that was just a made-up thing on Twitter or, like, what the story was. But Anthony Calandria played this whole game for Virginia and continues to be just, like, the absolute just, like, box of fireworks that might turn into something really exciting or might burn your house down. Like yep. it's, you have to keep playing them if you're Virginia, because with, with the way that the way that Tony Musket plays the game, it's going to end up losing you games. Like for sure. You're not giving yourself a chance to win with Calandria. You give yourself a chance to win. Although you also maybe give yourself a chance to get blown out too. Like it's variability. Yeah. So it's it's like I, I was excited for Virginia to see him in the game. And I thought, again, he played really pretty well for the most part through three interceptions. Sure. But like he was the reason that Virginia was able to move the ball, especially in the first half. So like credit to uh, credit to Tony Elliott for playing him. I, I highly recommend you keep doing it because it sure seems like nobody is interested in watching this Virginia offense under Tony Musket. Scott, hit me. Yeah, crab cakes and football. Nice. That's what Maryland does. Hey, <laughs> Boom, baby. Uh, ACC football and wedding crashers references. That's what this podcast does. That's what this podcast does. Calandria was fine. He was fine. I would definitely play him over Musket the rest of the way. The same reason why I talked about Kyron Drums for Virginia Tech. You play him the rest of the way because you're rebuilding and there's more hope for a young quarterback versus a senior when you're in a rebuild and it really all doesn't matter anyway. There was a lot of good early in the game, especially with Calandria. Then there was a lot Mm -hmm. of bad. He had three interceptions and three throws. We talked about last night. That was really, really poor. Uh, There were some tweets out there uh, because I put something out in the first half where I was like, Calandria might be a wagon. Uh, somebody tweeted at me that Calandria might have some scar tissue after, you know, throwing three picks and he might be, you know, really struggling to get his confidence back. I mean, maybe, but he's also a freshman and it's one of those deals where like everybody's open and nobody's open. We mm-hmm. had that conversation last night. I'm not too worried about Anthony Calandria. In fact, like, I think he gives UVA a good chance to, be competitive in a lot of the games the rest of the way. You know, mm-hmm. I still don't think UVA is going to be a bowl team. I don't think they're, you know, going to be even like a four or five win team. But do I think they'll be exciting offensively? Like, do I think they, you know, might sneak up on some people and maybe be in some games they shouldn't be in because Calandria has made a few more plays than the opposing quarterback? Yeah. So go ahead and play that guy. Mm-hmm. It's my opinion on it. And, Take good with the bad. He's a freshman. He's going to make some mistakes. Let him learn from those mistakes. But yeah, I mean, I think UVA's got UVA's got something here at quarterback. And they went from Perkins to Armstrong and then like an injured version of Armstrong last year. And they transferred out and they've been kind of trying to seek that next guy. And I think Calandria has got a lot of potential. So I just play him and see how it goes. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Wagons do break down. Yes, it, you know, it sucks for Virginia. You're you're at the quarter post and you haven't won yet. Um, yeah, <laughs> nobody. Nice job. Yeah. Um, 
Virginia's at the quarter post. They haven't won yet. They've got NC State at home next week. They're at Boston College the following week, and then they're home against William and Mary after that. Does it take till week six to get a win here, Mike? Yeah, I think so. I think it might. Yeah, might take I mean, longer. Oh. I mean, the quarterback battle of Anthony Calandria and Thomas Castellanos in a couple of weeks is going to be electric. And I, mean, I look forward to watching that. I wouldn't call it electric. I'd call it art. It's going to be art. <laughs> Abstract art, maybe. But yeah. But yes, art nonetheless. Yeah. So anyways, uh, Maryland 42, Virginia 14. I don't have a whole lot else there. No. A uh, couple of FCS matchups, Miami 48, Bo- uh, Bethune-Cookman. <laughs> I almost said Boston College. Bethune-Cookman 7. And uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, there's jokes to be made there. <laughs> NC State 45 VMI 7 uh, I I don't have a lot on either of these games uh, nah. both teams took care of business got got this thing over early and uh, easy wins for the both of them yeah all, all I have is um, what's it called NC State didn't cover oh did they not I don't think Miami did either by that logic by the way it was 42 and a half for NC State so hmm we can move on. I just wanted to put that out. It's a good Scott, call. Scott, I got a question for you. Did you have some action on that? No, I just saw it this okay. morning. I was like, 42 and a half. Okay. You sick bastard. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm looking here. Just a second. Uh, y- you know who did cover this weekend, by the way? Bowling Green. You boys, the Bowling Green Falcons. Yeah, they did. Michigan 31, Bowling Green 6. Bowling Green catching 40 and a half. Got it done Easily. on the field. There you With go. ease. With That's ease. Right. That was right. a uh that was a 14 to was Mike, it 14 you, to three? Mike, you're saying with ease, and you said Liam with Michigan two days ago. No, no, no. Like, I said I said t- what did I say last night on that teaser? What did I say? I on say the teaser, teaser, in the preview, you said, lay him with Michigan. <laughs> That's what you and said. And then last night, I said, tease him down. I said, tease Michigan down to 33. Okay. Did I not? I did, right? I think so. I think, yeah, I did. I Maybe. talked out both sides of my mouth. I, that was late last night. Great I teams cover. It's late this night. <laughs> it is. Should we uh, give out awards? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Do that real quick. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a dude alert. Speaking of podcast infringement, uh, go ACC. That's not the music. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Go ACC moment of the week. Uh, We had mentioned the Mitch Griffiths thing. The other one that came up was the uh, scoop six fumble situation as Florida State's trying to hold off Boston College. And uh, there's a little swing pass kind of thrown and, and a a tackle was made, and, and I think it was Lawrence Tuofili just kind of threw the ball backwards, it almost looked like, like yep. badly lost it. And, uh, yeah, Boston College picks it up, runs it into the, to the end zone, and makes it a like a one-score game, basically. Yep. Um, do you have a preference on one of those, or are they just uh, co-moments of the week, Mike? Co. That'll work. Uh, the You Tried Award clearly goes to the chain gang. Chain gang. Georgia Tech won no this game. No brainer on the chain gang. I had never seen people working harder to make like the most simple of technology work, but 
my goodness, those guys were uh, were getting after it in that game yeah. and and making it make making the game about them. Which you know sometimes we say the refs do that, make the game about themselves. I don't know if I've ever said the chain game made the game about themselves. So uh, shout yeah. out to those guys in Oxford tonight. Um, no doubt. Can I um, the Kobe Bryant Memorial You Tried Award? Um, I kind of wanted to call out. I gotta find where. Whoa, it whoa, 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 whoa! It's the yes. Kobe Bryant Volume Shooter of the Week Award. What are you Sorry. doing? We're I, drinking. <laughs> We're we drinking. Just, That's what's happening. Said it was late. We are drinking. Yeah, and it's late. Uh, oh, damn it! Vamp for a second. I had something here. Oh, I mean, Phil, Phil Dracovic is a good candidate. Uh, that is a good one. Um, I also thought about the uh, the combo in Florida State Boston College of Trey Benson and Kai Robichaux <laughs> on the ground, thirty three carries for a hundred and two yards. Yeah, that's a volume shooter of the week award for sure. Not even three yards per carry. Yeah, across almost thirty five touches. So uh, I'll throw yeah. that one out there as a candidate. Player of the week. Probably Garrett Schrader. Yeah, I was gonna say Schrader. Uh Drake may also bat, dude. Drake may also for how he played in the second half. He looked so. real good. Um yeah. Riley Leonard, another candidate. Castellanos in a losing effort. Yeah, God, yeah. I mean, for love of God. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Trying to will that team to win. Uh Nate mm-hmm. McCollum, 15 catches for 165 yards. Yeah. That's pretty good too. Be nice if he played for my team. If only. If Want to slide that joke in there again? <laughs> I laugh to avoid being sad. Uh, yeah, um, I, I would. It's tough seeing a former player just be balling on another conference team. It sucks. <laughs> team of the week. Uh, Syracuse or pass? <laughs> uh I Boston mean, College in a losing effort. I was gonna say, can we can we do that? Can we do BC in a losing effort? Can we do uh, new ACC member Stanford losing in Sacramento State? Oh gosh, we're gonna have to preview Stanford next year. Oh, it's gross. What if we just ignore Stanford being? We a, can't. Uh... I mean, not only. I mean, number one, we can't. Number two, we're gonna have to like coordinate time zones. You know how hard it is for you and I to coordinate times to record a podcast. Now we have to do it with like a West. West Coast time zone, dude. This is going to be just like a live stream of the West Coast game every week. This the Saturday Night Fever situation, like it has to be. There's, yeah, I'm not waiting on those games to be over to start this podcast at like two in the morning Eastern. Yeah, uh, thank you, Lee. Nobody for reminding me. We need to get some like British like tea party music. Scott, can we get a drop on that for like the Queen Elizabeth Award? Can we find that? I mean, I, I'm not asking you to find I mean, that right now. Right like, this second? No. For the next for the next pod for the Actually. next podcast. For the next podcast. Let's like stick a pin in that one. But the uh okay. Queen Elizabeth II Memorial You Died Award, one thousand percent goes to Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. One thousand percent. Pitt better figure it out fast. Yeah. Honorary mention we, goes to Virginia Tech. We do have the God save the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Underused. That's it, right? That's the recap. I think that's it. Colorado's down eight with the ball with a minute and fifteen left. Oh, and they're they're in Colorado State here. So Colorado State pinned them inside the ten, so mm-hmm. 
they're moving here. Well, I guess we better log off here and then watch the rest of this. I think we should. Yeah. Mike, it's been fun. You want to come back in a uh, preview week four? Yeah, I'll see you Tuesday or Wednesday night, I guess, huh? Yeah, I think so. We got to watch this. So uh, I think y'all know where to find us. Go find us there. Subscribe, like, email us, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Shop at Homefield. Go ACC uh, 50% off first order. Do that. Yep. Do that. Because we Fif- didn't hit that ad read at all. So. 15, not 50, by the way. 15. Link's in the description. Use the link. It helps us out. That's right. Yep. Do that. Mike Scott's been fun. You want to come back preview week four? I'm going to bed. I got a 8.50 a.m. tea time. That's seven hours from now. Oh, good oh, luck. Oh, God. <laughs> pray for Scott. Hashtag yep. pray for Scott. I got. Thanks, Lee Nobody. Nothing but time tomorrow. Yeah, thanks, Lee Nobody. Great pod. Appreciate that. All right, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, for Mr. Producer Scott, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Go ACC.